Welcome back to the Gen Z Speaks podcast. We have a special episode today in light of what's been happening with Russia and Ukraine. We recorded an episode four days ago, but I think it's important because a lot has changed since then. Russia has decided to conduct a military operation and infringe upon Ukrainian sovereignty by attacking multiple cities across the country. Uh, we're joined today uh, with with our guest, David. He he lived in Ukraine for, you said nine years, right, David? Oh, nine. nine years. And you're from Lviv, Ukraine, which is in the western part of Ukraine. And I know David from USC. He actually graduated last semester and he's an aspiring law student. And so we're, it's good to have you, David. And I think it's important to get the perspective of, of Ukrainians, people who've actually lived in the country and are from the country to actually understand what's happening on the ground there. So welcome to the podcast, man. Thank you so much for having us. And I know you have family members there. So uh, I know this can be a tough time. So we really, really appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. So let's dive right in. So what I just want to get your opinion, man. Uh, and at any point in time, if any of us are talking too much, you know, feel free to tell us, uh, to tell us to like, you know, rephrase our arguments. But my point is, what what's been happening with Russia and Ukraine? What's your take on it so far as a Ukrainian, as someone who's lived in the country for a long time? So it's been an ongoing tension for years, ever since I believe in the 1930s. I don't know if you guys heard about the Holodomor, yes. which was when the Soviet Union starved their own people because Ukraine was part, and they killed, I think, was it three, four million people, which you don't really hear about, but, you know, four million Ukrainians got killed just because. And, uh, you know, from there, there's been other issues, but even in two, you know, early 2000s, after the Soviet Union fell apart, you know, Ukrainian wa- Ukraine wanted to be their own nation, like, you know, any other nation, more or less, they wanted their own sovereignty, like you said. Uh, however, um, our president got poisoned by the Russian government. And then they put in their own presidents, which ended up giving away all the whole gold reserve, all the military to Ukraine, including all the nuclear weapons, all the fun stuff. And, uh, you know, ever since then, we had a revolution to get that guy out because he did nothing good, you know, for us. And ever since then, we, we've just been trying to be our own nation. But with Russia being the neighbor, you don't really, you can't really do that. You know, they're very aggressive, as you guys can see. Right. So tensions between Russia and Ukraine have always been high. But do you think that started since 1932? Like the, the, the famine you mentioned, right, where yeah. 3.9 million Ukrainians were killed. Is that the inflection point of the, of the relationship and how it, it was strained? Or does that even date back to, from 1932? It's, that's one of the key points. I, I don't, I, uh, I'm not exactly sure when it dates back, but I know it's for sure at that point mm-hmm. it was right there. Um, it's... The Soviet Union wanted everyone to be one thing, you know, they wanted everyone to erase their history and to just be Russian because the Soviet Union, everyone had to speak Russian, everyone had to have the Russian culture. So your culture had to be erased, like you couldn't speak Ukrainian, so on and so forth. Um, or rather it was looked down upon, you know, and um, the Ukrainians, we just wanted to, you know, not forget our culture. Like anybody else, you don't want to forget your history. And with the Russians kind of wanting to be in charge of everything, that's kind of mm-hmm. where the Russians have always been. Right. My other question to you was, currently, President Zelensky is still in Kyiv, and there were rumors that he left the country, but that's not true. He just posted a video with the prime minister and some other security advisors. He's currently in Kyiv. What's your take on how President Zelensky of Ukraine has handled the situation? Because I believe a couple weeks ago, he was still saying that it's not for sure that Russia was going to invade Ukraine. He's a very um, conflicting president. I mean, Mm -hmm. the way he got into power was a lot of donations from Russian oligarch. I forgot the Russian oligarch's name. They got millions towards him and towards, you know, Ukraine. And a lot of people thought it was going to be a good thing. But at the end of the day, he's a Russian oligarch, you know, so it's not necessarily a good thing. So at the end of the day, he's obviously a puppet. But when things started to get real, you know, a couple of days ago, when it's impending war, that's why he was trying to hold it off, thinking that, you know, they're just going to let it slide because, after all, he is sponsored by them. Uh-huh. When things really start to go down and it was obvious that they don't really care about him like that. And, you know, the Biden gave him a call. The NATO, you know, obviously spoke to him. Like, I'm sure they gave him an ultimatum. So now he realizes that he's on his, all on his own. And he actually has to look out for his people now because if not that, he's going to get killed too. Right. So, David, real quick, I was wondering... You know, like, like you said, it was kind of surprising the attack happened about two days ago now, right? It's been two days, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I feel like for us in the West, it was super surprising. We we're like, oh, you know, Putin's just, you know, um, even though all signs pointed to it, there was hundred thousands of uh, soldiers uh, neighboring the borders of Ukraine. It still was a bit surprising 
Um, I, I know I know you mentioned you have family in Ukraine. For the people in Ukraine, was it surprising or what? Are, are they have they been expecting it for a long time now? We've actually been expecting it, and um, uh, going back to 2014, uh, when the rebel zones and you know Crimea, all that stuff. For the you know even the Western news, it's been said that it's the rebel controlled areas, you know, and it's been said that it's you know their own Ukrainians that are trying to just rebel against the government, which from my relatives who live there, it's all bullshit. The, these rebels are actually U.S. Uh, not U.S. They're Russian soldiers. So um, mm -hmm. I don't know if you guys heard about the green men that were crossing the border. It was all Russian soldiers back in 2013, 2014. So although it's rebels who to, you know had their own territory, it was really just Russia already occupying them back then. So we already knew that Russia was gonna try to make moves, especially when they annexed Crimea, when they annexed you know, well they tried to on, uh, annex like Donbas, which is the eastern region. It's, we already knew that they were going to be aggressive and we knew when they were going to start, you know, start piling so many of their soldiers on the border, it's going to, you know, be serious. We, we expected them. So you're saying the, the kind of the separatists that Russia officially recognized earlier in the week? Those are just Russians. Straight up, those are just Russians. They're just Russians, really? Russians. Yeah, I, I've read about this too. And what Russians do is they, they, they put these separatists in these territories. And then what they do is they recognize them as a territory. And then what they do is they don't say... Um, you know, we're going to invade that. They're going to say, these are our Russian people. So we're going to go there and defend it. Not, they don't use the words of, they don't use a diction of, oh, we're going to go to invade. Yeah. We're, we're defending our people. That's pretty much what they say, even though they're just Russians to begin with. 100% what happened. Yeah, they literally put their own people there and then they said it was Ukrainians. It never was Ukrainians. I mean, a lot of people there speak Russian. I mean, I myself speak Russian at home. And a lot of it is due to the Soviet Union influence where they kind of prohibit you from speaking Ukrainian. Mm. if you're ukrainian you know um so that's why i speak russian for example a lot of those pe people speak russian too and that's where a lot of their arguments stems from you know saying that oh they speak russian so there must be russian so obviously they want to secede but they don't it's it's, it's all bullshit i'll be honest it's, it's from people from family that i have there it's all bullshit gotcha okay so like, recently we've been seeing like you know the u.s has deployed not deployed but kind of stationed troops from italy around like ukraine um obviously we're not going in but is that your guys' hope? I mean, as Ukrainian, is the hope to get reinforcements from the U.S. and from, you know, other NATO allies? Or, like, how, how are you guys thinking about that? So, uh, in 20, when the Russian put puppet president, not the Zelensky, but the guy that was in the Victor, President Victor, right? Yeah, that one. But the, yeah. I forgot his name, but he was just an asshole. And uh, ever since then, we haven't had military. So, for us to even have a fighting chance, we need some reinforcements. So, we need not, not necessarily the troops, but at least equipment. Mm -hmm you know we got and that's nice like i believe there's the iron dome in kiev now which is kind of cool uh but we obviously need that and we need troops simply because you know um active military the ukraine only has thirty thousand or so russia has two hundred thousand on the border you know even if you're fighting for your own country even if you know you're gonna fight harder it's the thirty thousand to two hundred thousand is still you know much different ratio so what's the threshold do you think like what what's it gonna take um so i i given the way that russians are just annihilating everything in their path they're like you know like like this morning they destroyed an orphanage a kindergarten a hospital a cancer hospital and now they're letting chernobyl go to you know they're not letting the maintenance keep up with chernobyl so that might go bad too the fact that they're so belligerent i feel like ukrainians see that there is no hope even if they give up they're still going to be blown up you know so to say so they're just you know, holding on until they can no more. Like, there's 14-year-old kids getting guns just to try to fight back. Like, 14-year-olds, you know? Like, I have a lot of videos of these 18-year-old dead Ukrainian soldiers just in piles that Russians killed. You know, it's, it's sad. Right. I've seen that, man. And I've also seen, you know, um, politicians picking up guns and, you know, saying, I'm not taking off. I'm going to fight for this. And, you know, it's, it's really honorable to see and courageous because I, I think a lot of countries, that wouldn't be the case, right? Um, but, you know, to see you know, maybe a smaller, maybe not small country, but in terms of, you know, military force um, to see those guys, it's, it's kind of sad, right? Cause they don't have necessarily that, that training needed, um, but they're going ahead and they're doing it still. Yeah. So and it's commendable. I, I think that's what Putin generally expected when he invaded, he expected that it was going to be like, uh, I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with Georgia when in the early 2000s, it's, it's a country, small country next to Armenia. They had mm -hmm. the same thing Russia, you know, it, it, Russia invaded, they resisted. They killed off a lot of Georgians. It was the same thing. It was just on a smaller scale. And um, I think they expected the same thing. They didn't expect the resistance that Ukrainians are putting up. 
with the fact that Ukrainians, I believe, um, I saw some numbers, I believe at this moment, or last time I saw it, it's already 3,000 dead Russians and it's less than 500 dead Ukrainians. So obviously the resistance is there, you know, it's much more than they expected. So yeah, I, 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 I think that it's not what they expected. That's what I'm trying to say. For sure. I want to go back to one of your points. So correct me if I'm wrong, but do you, so you think President Zelensky is essentially a Russian puppet? Is that your assessment of him? He 100% was at first. Um, I think after they kind of abandoned him and they um, Putin officially made him target number one, he announced mm -hmm. that this morning, and he mm -hmm. made his wife and his children target number two, which I believe is a war crime in itself. <laughs> um, you know, you're not supposed to target kids and women, but point is that, you know, they abandoned him and the fact that Biden gave him a call and his only surviving chance is to side with the West. I think he might actually become a decent president before he was now i'm not sure maybe he'll be decent yeah i asked you that because here in the west at least my understanding was that zelensky was democratically elected in 2019 in a landslide and i thought that russia viewed zelensky as like getting closer and closer towards the west right and like he didn't want ukraine to end up joining nato and that he was scared about that but i didn't know that initially he actually received as you said campaign donations from a russian oligarch yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah, no, the, the Russian oligarch, the Ukrainians knew about that. And um, I think it was just, it's like a sliver of hope, you know, thinking that, oh, Russia might actually help us out. Mm. And because they thought, you know, maybe that we have a chance with them financially supporting us, we're going to elect him. So it was, you know, it was elected. A lot of people chose him for that reason. You know, his background is he was a comedian. He was, he was yeah. And I remember going up and watching his shows and, you know, he was not exactly a politician, you know, far from it, but they elected him because they thought that we're going to get financial support. That was the reason. Yeah. And tell me if I'm wrong. Did he not play? He played the role of president on his show. Right. And then he, he like might he played, have, he might have okay. club that he ran uh, Quartal 95, which is the name of the show. I mean, it was, yeah, it was pretty out of pocket. So I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Interesting. And so now, but you think that Zelensky has aligned himself so much with the West that Russia does not see him as pro-Russian at all. Like he is enemy number one, as you said. Yeah, he's, I mean, he's cornered, you know, um, because like I said, he doesn't have a survival chance. He'll get killed. Um, so his only chance is to try to get NATO's and uh, US support. So, yeah. And, and so, Biden, mm -hmm. oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, sorry, I'm going to move on to a different topic. So you just go ahead. Yeah, I just wanted to finish up on this because Biden has already said that the US is not going to intervene militarily. But NATO is sending, um, like, I believe NATO is sending more arms to Ukraine, correct? And I don't know how much of help that's going to be. As you said, man, like the Russian army is just bigger than Ukraine and they're just more powerful. It's a sad reality that we face. And so I think it's inevitable that Russia eventually invades Ukraine, right? But so in that case of that, when that happens, the Russian, I believe I saw today that Putin actually wants the Russian military to topple Zelensky's government. And so who do you think they'll install? Like, will there, I mean, I know Zelensky has already declared martial law in Ukraine. And so like, how is that going to work out in your opinion? Uh, they're going to put their puppet the same way they did back in the mid 2000s. They're going to do the exact same thing. They're going to do the same thing that Belarus has. Uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the Belarusian president. The guy it's has been there for dozens of years. Um, I know he's not popular by his people. I know that when they release their voting thing, he's like 90 something percent, the same way Putin is like 90% voting. Yeah. Obviously, it's like bullshit. And Vote. It's, <laughs> yeah. You know, they had protests in Belarus, I believe, like a year ago or something. And then thousands of people got like stomped by the police and they got arrested. The same way, just yesterday in Moscow, 2,000 people got arrested for trying to protest against the war. So. You know, yeah. we mentioned that a lot of the Ukrainian and um, Russian soldiers are dying, uh, you know, as a result of this conflict. What, what do you what do like Ukrainians at home think about Russians in general? Like from the, from my point of view, it feels like a lot of these Russian soldiers don't even want to fight. And after seeing some videos of these protests, it seems like, you know, this is not a popular thing in Russia. So do Ukrainians have like a, you know, hate towards um russians or is it just kind of like you know it's they're doing that because of their leader uh so i don't think they like their leader to begin with <laughs> um i think well the the notion between belarusians ukrainians and russians is always that we're all brothers that's always a notion i mean we all look the same we speak the same languages more or less we have the same culture you know people wise everyone thinks we're the same you know we all think we're brothers we don't have any hate towards each other it's just simply been the government you know that's why um 
like there, I, there's even Russian YouTubers that I've seen that are just against, you know, what's going on there. But obviously, they can't speak out too much. Otherwise, they're gonna get got. They're gonna get sent to the, you know, the gulags for like a better term. Um, it's just, it's just the way it is. You know, it's it's 21st century, but that's just how things happen over there. Yeah. So, like, kind of segueing off of that. So, I was watching a few reports, and um, these reporters are going in. They're actually in Moscow and asking some of these Russians like what they think of what's going on. And I think it was yesterday, and it was published today. Um, and the Russian, so it was very mixed, right? Some were saying like, yeah, we stand with Putin. Others were like, no, like this is just wrong. Those are human beings that we're killing, right? Like that's not okay. Um, and so like, in my opinion, I think it's extremely interesting seeing it from their perspective, right? Cause they're getting fed propaganda just as, you know, everybody's getting fed propaganda. But the thing is, it doesn't change the fact that humans killing another human, right? Um, and so I think that's like the most interesting thing. Do you, so generally speaking, you think, people are are like in russia are against this and they just don't want to speak out is that like the consensus the russians overall are against killing their own brothers ukrainians right you can hear a lot of them referring to ukrainians brothers which is mm. the same way we see them i also see uh, there's a lot of difference age-wise like the younger generation they're able to you know get vpns and bypass the censorship right so they're able to see a lot more of the news so they're able to get a bigger picture and better understanding of things that are really going on Versus you have, you know, you have the older people uh, who just kind of turn on the TV and watch that. Not to mention that the, a lot of things that the Putin calls on is like, you probably guys heard he, he's trying to, you know, recreate USSR, which is something that a lot of the people that grew up during the USSR, they might think of it in a good way, even though they lived like shit over there. You know, even, even all, all the people back then lived horribly, but just because memories, they think it was a good time. So he's trying to appeal to that. But the younger people for sure don't want none of this. For sure. That's interesting. So like our last podcast, for example, we're just talking about kind of like historically speaking, the leaders of Russia and had just like, it's sad, right? I mean, from tens of millions of people, they killed just to murder and it just happens. And it just seems like maybe not on the same scale, but Putin's definitely doing that right. But like, I mean, there's starvation, severe starvation going on over there. I mean, they're living like, you know, in really, really unfortunate circumstances um, for a lot of these people. Um, not necessarily in Moscow, but further out. Right. Um, and it's just, it's crazy to see, you know, your leader, um, not care about you, but you still kind of stand with him. And I, I, it's hard to like grasp, I guess, cause we don't have that perspective, I guess. Um, but it's just really I, I tough. Explain that. I mean, I can absolutely explain. I mean, I yeah, lived on myself, uh, before coming to the, you know, us actually lived in Moscow for about a year or so with my family. Okay. That was just part of the process of getting the us. It was just legal stuff but um and my mom's side is from my mom's side like good part of her is from moscow you know i have uh, and the reason why they came to ukraine back in the 40s is because my family was in the kgb and you know what have you right so they sent him to ukraine to kind of work there if that makes sense right uh but my point being is that um a lot of the people that support him still young people pretty much don't support him at all uh, it's the older people. It's the older people that have never seen anything better. You know, like you said, they're li- living in starvation, poverty, but that's how they've always lived. So they don't know any better. Right. And that's just, you know, they want to keep doing, you know, at this point they're reaching the end of their life and they just want that consistency that a lot of older people tend to have. And that's why they're supporting. Them. And I feel like the, mm-hmm. the point you mentioned regarding, um, you know, young people having access to VPNs, yeah. that just, is, I feel like technology is so important in today's world where, you know, um, the older people, they're just getting fed Russian propaganda that's on TV, while, you know, um, the younger people have these VPNs and can access Western influence, uh, you know, more democratic politics. They can look and see how, you know, the world really works. And they kind of can have a sense of how um, government should be or maybe how they, you know, should want it to be. So I think technology is a huge factor in today's world, especially with politics. And I think Putin is definitely afraid of that, hence the censoring. I, I don't think he expected that. You know, um, one thing I was discussing with my parents yesterday was Putin's approach is outdated and wrong. Um, his approach is to appeal to that whole thing from the, you know, the 50s, it's like the Cold War of having two polarities, you know, just clashing because that's how things used to be back then. You know, you had the communists and you had, you know, the, the capitalists, right? Uh, you had the US and the Russia. That's how with the Cold War, right? That's what a lot of those people grew up on. That's what Putin grew, grew up on. He's seven years old. Uh, however, back then, you know, it was, a lot of people were poor. The majority of people couldn't even get by. So that's why there was a lot of conflict. However, mm-hmm. nowadays, everyone can at least get by if that makes sense. So a lot of people want peace, you know? So mm-hmm. he's trying to appeal to this conflict because that's what he knows. But a lot of people don't even want that anymore. You know, it's, it's like old 
aero stuff, you know, it, that, so it's not even working. Not to mention you said technology. Um, I know one thing that happened yesterday is that uh, like the, when they were coming from Chernobyl side, I, I think you guys heard about the Russian force moving from Chernobyl side. Uh, there was a column of like the forces and um, back when they got the Ukrainian military back in like the mid 2000s, they had all the Ukrainian insignias on it, you know, the flags, what have you. So what they did is they brought those and they put those in front of the convoys to try to disguise it as Ukrainian military, which I believe is also a war crime because you're not supposed to put somebody else's, you know, flags on your thing because, you know, war crime. And so they try to trick the, you know, the people. However, a lot of the civilians that were on the ground, they have telephones, they have internet. So they recorded these people, you know, dressing up in the wrong mm. stuff. They recorded the Russians getting into Ukrainian tanks and they posted online and what happened is that as soon as they started tried this plan the russians they got bombed to shit because it was already out there and you know the ukrainian government found out that these are fake guys you know if that makes sense so i i, I have a theory man on, on why putin wants why one of the reasons why putin's doing this obviously like the west is saying that putin is primarily doing this because he doesn't want ukraine to join nato and that he kind of you know fears a more western influence on eastern europe but i think he's actually scared internally he views that let's say ukraine does join nato that means at its border there is a sovereign nation that's part of nato and that can spread more eastward into russia right so do you think like that's one of the reasons why putin is doing this he's kind of thinking strategically 10 15 years actually short term for his own benefit he's seeing that if ukrainians become more and more pro-western and you know aligned with nato that a lot of Russians are going to, you know, turn towards the West a little bit more and become more and more anti-Putin. Do you think that's a fair assessment? That is, that is 100% the right assessment. You know, you can even see that in Ukraine, the way that Ukraine is in the middle of Europe and Russia. My city is extremely European. You know, you have the modern beliefs, I guess you could say, you know, versus mm-hmm. on the ones on the East are a lot more, I won't say conservative, but they're just a lot more old school. And, you know, if, like you said, if you, Ukraine becomes European, like, you, for example, the closest NATO country, which is Poland, right on the border next to Ukraine, right. the living standard is a lot higher, like a lot higher. Like, uh, you know, what a lot of Ukrainians do is, and, you know, they travel to work in Poland, they come back. And, you know, just that's how, that's how big the difference is. You know, you cross 30 miles and boom, life is so much better. So, like you said, you know, if you had the Ukraine is part of NATO, the living standard is going to be higher. These people are going to see what life can really be if you don't have this isolation and you don't have this authoritarianism, mm-hmm. you know? And yeah, they, he might lose his grasp on power. Yeah. Why do you think there hasn't, obviously, Ukraine for more or less has been a more independent country since 2014, right? Since, since, they, since a lot of Ukrainians, I think, I believe protested uh president Viktor, the guy before zelensky right and and that was a russian that before him was actually somebody we elected but they poisoned him really and they put oh. in the russian guy yeah so we've been trying to it's just like you know like russia just keeps messing with us so the guy before zelensky was Viktor, who was a russian puppet and the guy before that was a democratically elected president that russia poisoned and killed yes and you can find pictures of him he, wow. he poisoned him but he didn't die but his face like melted it, it's genuinely disgusting but he was a good guy that's a common russian tactic they poison like their own you know descendants in their country so I mean, it, was, it wasn't their guy it was you know somebody we elected this is yeah this guy was good and then they just they don't care so yeah so russia has been infringing on ukrainian sovereignty ever since it became independent since yeah, 1991 I, essentially right they've never apologized you know the holodomor you know four million dead ukrainians um you know like for example with things like holocaust obviously you know there's people at least acknowledge it, you know, Russians, they, they don't even put in the, the history books. They don't care about it. You know, it's like 4 million dead. That's not a small number. You know, uh, it's very close to how many Jews were killed. You know, I think what 6 million Jews were killed during the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. I mean, the numbers are different, but they're not too far off. But look at the amount of recognition you're getting from one versus the other. And what's interesting is that Putin is doing all this under the fault pretense of denazifying Ukraine. Yeah. And as yeah. you mentioned, you yourself come from a Jewish family and President Zelensky is Jewish. So they're using completely made up stuff to rationalize this war somehow. And it makes no sense to me. And a lot of the Western part of the Ukraine is that used to be Poland. And um, it just so happened to be the part of Poland where during the World War II, the mm-hmm. Jews were running away to. So a lot of the population is extremely Jewish, you know, not Orthodox, not the American Jews, but they're Jews, you know, like, like I'm Jewish, but I don't practice it. You know, I got the background. It's, it's like that. A lot of population is huge. And there's a lot more Jews in Ukraine than there are in Russia. 
which right. also gives you perspective. So. My well, other question, go ahead, man. Go ahead. All right. Uh, well, this a little off topic. So if you want to go ahead and. Yeah, I was just going to ask you, why do you think Ukraine hasn't been so successful economically, at least? Like you mentioned, Poland right next to its east side, right, is much more developed. Obviously, they're part of NATO, so maybe that has something to do with it. But why do you think Ukraine, do you blame Russia for Ukraine's lack of progress uh, as a country? It's, it's the combination. It's the fact that they're in the middle. So they're not getting the benefits that, because they're not NATO. They're not getting the, the you know, the, the financial benefits, of, benefits right. yeah. you know, of getting to that Western world. Mm-hmm. So they're not getting that, but at the same time, you know, they can try whatever they want, but Russia's still going to mess with them. You know, like we used to have a gold reserve. It got given away by a Russian puppet. I mean, listen, that's, you know, you can try so much, but if they keep killing your presidents and they, you know, they keep doing all this stuff, it's like, dude, you know, not much you can do. For sure. So yeah, it seems like infrastructure is not going to solidify until Russia stops, but it seems like Russia is not going to stop. Right. And so what, how do you think this is going to play out? I mean, okay. Say Ukraine goes ahead and, you know, it it works out God, God willing, right. Everything works out. Ukraine, you know, um, it stays independent, but Russia will continue messing with Ukraine. Right. So what's like, what's the overarching goal here? So I think the, the best course of scenario is to just kind of call Putin's bluff and just to have NATO forces come in. Obviously, if you have the U.S. forces come in, the crazy, he's, he's going to start a World War III. It's going to, you know, you're going to have this, you know, you're going to have a second sun at 10 p.m. You don't want a nuclear war, you know? For sure. Um, but if, with NATO, there's a smaller chance for that just because they can argue they're right there. Mm. And you're going to need those forces because if you don't have NATO, you know, we're not going to win this. And um, if Ukraine joins NATO, then things are going to get extremely better. It's going to be like Poland, you know, it's going to be, you know, striving country. Right. So, so a few hours ago, Russia, I mean, uh, Putin says that he's willing to have another conversation um, with Zelensky. So you, is it a bull? It's, it's not bull. It's just, he's realizing he, he's going to lose this. He's realized because NATO already started moving their, some of the, not their military forces, but they're getting a lot more ballsy now. They're bringing their actual convoys into Ukraine. Right. They were afraid to do because Putin threatened nuclear war if anybody helps get in the way of it. Right. Now that they're doing it and they're seeing that he's not doing anything about it, he's seeing that they're going to keep doing this. You know, they're going to get ballsy just like the way he's been. And he's going to, he's seeing that he's starting to lose. So he's just trying to, you know, cash in on as far as he's gotten. And it, I don't think it's going to happen because NATO realizes they're, they're going to be winning this too. So I don't think it's going to happen. But David, U.S. intelligence has been saying that uh, Russia is going to take over Kiev any day now. So yeah, do you think that actually it's getting bombed to shit like bombers and stuff? Right, right. So do you, I'm I'm also been seeing that if Russia takes over the eastern part of Ukraine and the western kind of is still resistant, that it's going to split it up. Like you mentioned, the Donbas regions that's already kind of like split up into different territories. Do you envision that? Ukraine to just be split up into different territories further if Russia does fully invade Ukraine? I think that's probably the most logical approach to things. However, um, just knowing how Ukrainian people are and the fact that we, you know, after him just coming into our country and killing our people, I don't think anyone's going to be quiet. You know, like just because they're going to take our capital, we're not going to just become Russian out of a sense, if that makes sense. We're still going to have that national pride and there's going to be a lot of guerrilla warfare 100%. So even if he takes the capital and officially has the country, he's not going to have the nation, if that makes sense. So that was your point that in spirit, you know, Ukraine is never yeah, really going to become Russia. Yeah, it's not going right. to be Russia ever. So even if he takes it, it's going to become Ukraine again eventually. So he's not. There's no way he can win it, if that makes sense. You mentioned the. You mentioned that the Ukrainian soldiers were surprisingly uh, patriotic. Why, yeah. why? Why do you say surprisingly patriotic? Uh I mean. Uh, I feel like it's because it's a different level of patriotism. For example, like I can give you an example of my, my, my mother's best friend. She's in Lviv and uh, she's like a 50 year old woman. You know, she's a very nice lady and she has a son who's about 25 our age and he just finished his college degree and, you know, so on and so forth. And she told him, let's go, let's leave. Let's go to Poland. You know, we can leave, you know, you're college educated. They will take you, blah, blah, blah. We can pay off the border, even though they're not letting you out officially, you know, we will get out. But the guy himself was like, no, I'm going to say, I'm going to fight for my country. So he, he, he can have an easy path of his life, you know, you know, have a peaceful life, but he's choosing not to do it just because, you know, that's your home. Right. It's, it's different when you're fighting for a home versus when you're attacking somebody. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. 
And I'm, I think it also, uh, you can see the results of that in the casualties. Um, the Russians are taking a lot, a lot more casualties than Ukrainians. Like, mm -hmm. it's, it's not even close. You know, even though the countries are, I mean, even though the armies are much different in size, the Russians are taking a much, much heavier toll right now than Ukrainians. Right, yeah. You know, Ukrainian soldiers are fighting for their home and these Russian, as you said, they're attacking. And plus, a lot of, it feels like a lot of them don't even want to attack, you know? So it's, it's, it's a different kind of um, spirits in the battlefield, right? I've seen some interviews of like the prisoners of war and um, they were like the Russian guys, you know, they asked him, you know, obviously what battalion, this and that. And they asked him, you know, why did he join? He joined because he wanted the money. So like, they're contractors. They, uh, he, he hasn't had a formal army education other than the mandatory army service when you're 18, I believe you have to join. Um, but he just wanted to make money. You know, if you're just trying to make money and keep in mind, it's not a lot, you know, economics wise, it's not a lot of money they're giving to these soldiers. You know, they're giving hundreds of dollars Per month a couple hundred dollars i mean to go diet that's nothing so the values and the needs are much different so yeah i, I one of the things that i was kind of thinking about was as like living in america we're so lucky and blessed like man our worries day to day are like oh i'm gonna be late to my starbucks coffee or i'm gonna be late late running the class and other parts of the world as you said there's people our age literally making life and death decisions you know and, and trying to take up arms as a 14 year old to defend your country i mean that's something that's jarring and most people never experience and so you know it's to me that's like one of the things that i was kind of thinking about was how lucky we are in the u.s and how there's an empathy gap between the u.s and you like us like we can give our thoughts and prayers to ukraine all we want but at the end of the day it's the ukrainians who have to you know wake up every day and make that decision of and, life and death and not just ukraine Ukraine is not just in this situation. One thing I counter, especially, you know, with USC and the way that USC has a lot of privileged students um, is uh, a lot of people tend to, okay. One thing that I've been fighting with people on the internet is a lot of these Marxists and communists, you know, not that I have an issue with communism or Marxism, although I don't like it, you know, and not, not, you know, I feel like in theory, whatever, you know, it can work theoretically, you know, blah, blah, blah. But as somebody who's coming from a country that literally lived through that, I have, you know, my family comes from that. I know it's not realistic, you know, yet you have all these people on Instagram, you know, talking smack on imperialism, which I'm sure there's some validity, but they're talking smack on capitalism. They're saying that it's all U.S.'s fault and it's all Ukrainians' fault. And they're blaming all these people, but these same people live, you know, like um, they live, let's say in California, they live in multi-million dollar homes. The whole, the whole reason why they're able to have these viewpoints is because they're so damn privileged that it's, it's, it's so much hypocrisy. Like, um, I mean, it's just ridiculous. You know, I've actually encountered a lot of that, you know, in my time taking class at USC, I actually had a fight in one of my classes with this one kid, not a physical fight, but a verbal fight. And the kid had to drop out of the class. But I remember I took this uh, class on, uh, I, I forgot what it was. It was like, uh, I believe it was Islam in America class. It was a really cool class, really cool professor. And I remember this kid who was from the Bay area and uh, just out of curiosity, you know, I did some digging and I found that he lives like in a $4 million house. His dad is rich. His mom is rich. Right. But this guy, Man, not, yeah. What's its name? You went KGB on him, bro. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you got the yeah. things that it's not hard to find it. You just look up somebody's name and, you know, anyways, point is that, you know, you find all this and then this, I remember this kid in class, I was, you know, I was trying to talk about something. I was trying to make a point. And I remember he told me, he's like, you're a capitalist plus you're white. So you don't have an opinion. And I'm like, bro. I understand that first of all, I look white too, and I understand this and that, right? But my boy, you live in in a, like in the Bay Area. You have you've had all the damn privilege in the world. You're a fufu communist who is benefiting from the capitalism, and you got the balls to try to talk shit about this. Like, bro, like shut up and go and just enjoy the benefits of your life. Just you know, just I'm not saying don't enjoy it. I'm not saying give it up, but just shut shut up. If you're not gonna, oh, give dude, you're 100 yeah. right, dude. It's like I, I feel you on that. Ridiculous. <laughs> It's like they're sitting in like Starbucks, right? Yeah. And first of all, you're in a first world country. Second of all, you're in one of the most rich cities in the country, right? Arguably in the world at that point. And you're looking at things from perspective because first of all, San Francisco is a bubble. LA is a bubble, right? And so everybody thrives off of their own ideas and they feed off of each other's ideas. And yeah. so you're looking at a privileged idea circulating and it's just, it's, Hundred cents, bull, dude. It, they need a, a reality check. All these guys on, sorry, uh, all these guys on Twitter, they're just like talking about, you know, how socialism is the way to go, and 
you know, the reason they're at this privileged spot is because of capitalism. And then, you know, the, you know, there's some ideas, don't get me wrong, in socialism that can be translated, you know, into capitalist, uh, um, you know, laws. But mostly, like, the whole idea of communism and socialism is kind of just uh, ridiculous. And we can see every, in history, it has never worked out anywhere. Not to mention, I feel like, I don't know, um, I don't know, man, it's just... I like my personal experience. I've seen some bullshit in, through my life, you know. Like my background, obviously, you know, I grew up half my life in Ukraine during the revolution. I came here as a refugee. I didn't come here with money. I lived in the projects for the first half of my life in the U.S. You know, like I've like I've, I've seen the bad stuff. Like I had the windows in my bedroom shut out because of the neighborhood I used to. I grew up in. You know, I still live in South Central, and not because I go to USC. Matter as a matter of fact, I only went to USC because it's down the street. You know. My point being is that, you know, you see a lot of this bullshit and it's like you, for example, in our case, you know, USC or where I live, you go to the west, west side, like where I work, you know, you go to Westwood and you have all these kids that are, you know, activists, right? But like, come on, bro, you grew up on the west side, you know shit, like, just be quiet. I don't know, I don't get it, man. And it doesn't just go to Ukraine, it also goes to a lot of other movements, you know, like, um, like the BLM movement, right? You had all these like Beckys and shit at USC trying to, you know, acting, they, they were talking more than the actual people of color and like, bro, you don't got the, you know, I'm, you know, maybe it's because I graduate with cultural anthropology, but my firm belief is that you can have an opinion on everything, but you can't necessarily have a stronger opinion or opinion that's more valid than somebody who actually lived through that or somebody that's actually experienced it, if that makes sense, you know? Right. Yeah, that's a good so point. To, it really bothers how all these, you know, privileged people talk on things and they, they hear, have no idea. Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah, it's just the lack of ignorance. I feel like students think this because they're getting an education in a particular subject that they're more knowledgeable about someone in regards to that subject, even though the other person's actually lived in your case in Ukraine, like they'll be arguing with you, even though you know firsthand what's happening. Uh, one of the, it was fascinating, like this, I'm an RA on campus, right? And like, we have to be on call on campus um, in like emergency duties every night for the building, not every night, like every three weeks, I have to do once, once in a while. So I did it yesterday and I get a call at 2 a.m. in the morning. This girl goes, there's a moth in my room and an insect, what do I do? And she's calling the RA, trying to figure out what to do with a big moth. And there's thousands of miles away. There's people in Ukraine, a 14-year-old picking up a gun and literally defending his village. Just goes to show, you know, that even though the world is a global village, the disparities are so huge that some of us have no idea what it's like to be in somebody else's situation. And I think we should be more empathetic. But I think our if I think if we're all empathetic toward each towards each other and respect each other's opinions and don't like uh, demonize each other for our opinions, our leaders will be a reflection of that. I feel like a lot of our leaders are a reflection of us, and I think if all of us kind of strive towards having more empathy, maybe we'll have less political problems. I don't know. Also, I, I think selective activism is a thing. Um, like for example, I had a lot of issues with you know. My social circles, you know, like the high school I went to is Boyle Heights, you know, I, pretty much none of my friends are white and it's not a bad thing, you know, it's just, I'm just, you know, the, that's the background they got, right? So when you had the BLM movements and you had all these things, you know, everyone's making posts and that's awesome, you know, that's great. People are, you know, showing things, showing, you know, an issue that's going on, right? And that's awesome. However, when, for example, you know, like the thing I have going on with Ukraine, which I would, I mean, I don't want to say it's a bigger thing because I feel like there are different things you can't really talk about them like that, but point is, this is pretty damn big you know and the, a lot of people are quiet you know just because it doesn't affect them if that makes sense just but at the same time you expect everyone to care about your issue but you don't want to care about other issues it's like selective activism man i have i have big gripes with that as well Very true. i want to bring it back real quick david so i mean i think it was really interesting so i was watching an interview last night before i was knocking out and it was a jordan peterson interview and he was and um it was actually i forgot her name um kathy I forgot her name, but it's a Catholic, she's a UK reporter and she's bringing up, you know, just very things just against Jordan Peterson in general. Um, and he, and they're talking about the black lives matter movement and transgender movement and all of that. And his point being, and she's trying to say that he's against it and this and that, but his point being is like, it's okay to have an opinion on any matter. Right. But you just can't speak for the entire movement. And that's what it just seems like everybody in the West kind of does um, or I don't want to say the whole West. I'm not going to generalize it like that. But a lot of these privileged, uh, you know, kids and, you know, citizens in general, they try to, like, make more noise than necessarily needs to be made, if that makes sense. Right. And it's like, OK, sure, like you can support it. 
but let people that have been through, like, first of all, I think it's historically and like in business and everything experience trumps, like not, not knowledge, but it trumps, um, I want to say book education, right? Right. It book, it, it trumps it every single time. And that's what these people fail to realize. It's like, okay, get in the real world, have some real like dilemmas, and then maybe you can have an opinion that's a little more, um, you know, driven. It's just, it's, it's ridiculous. Like, I, like there's a lot of, you know, these activists, um, like, like, you know, bringing back to Ukraine, Russia, right. Uh, like there's a lot of activism about, you know, disparities and, you know, in our culture and blah, 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 and talking how things are bad in the world. Right. But they're like, for example, you know, going back to Russia, like they ignore a lot of things that even Russia has going on. Right. I understand it's not their culture, but like in Russia, it's legal to be gay. Like, imagine that. Imagine if it was just illegal to be gay here. Like that's, that's wild. Like, I mean, it's you know these are such things that we wouldn't even think are even still it still exists but they do or going to like china how they're literally having concentration camps with you know muslim chinese people they're they're just killing off uyghurs right yeah exactly it's fucked up and none of the media is covering it and that's why i have a lot of graphs with that too but it's clearly something that's going on you know it's it's yeah no i appreciate the fact that you you know you're advocating for people not just in ukraine but also like you mentioned the uyghurs there's so many populations around the world that are being subjugated by guys like Putin, you know, President Xi in China is basically Putin in China. And it's like, it's, there's, you know, there's Putins all over the world who are doing this to people. And your point is that all of us should be, have a consistent approach that wherever we see injustice in one area of the world, it's our job to, you know, advocate for those people, regardless of what they look like or they believe. And if they're being persecuted by a powerful force, it's our job as humans to, you know, stand up for it. And I appreciate you for that. Going back to the Ukraine, Ukraine and Russia crisis, um, in the long term, right, the Russian threat of influence will always be there in Ukraine. Should, in your opinion, do most people in Ukraine want to join NATO or do they, would they just want NATO to remain independent and kind of go back to how things were maybe two, three years ago? It's not my opinion. I know it's for a fact. Um, mm-hmm. Most people, yes, 100%, like by far most people. I mean, and it, it's not, you know, it's maybe there's some old people that are just like some babushkas, which is like, you know, the term for the grandmas, you know, maybe they're they because they don't know any better. But anybody that has common sense and mm-hmm. has visited Poland, for example, you literally cross the border and you go from Ukraine is like my city, which is on the border of Ukraine is not bad. It's very European, you know, it's very decent. But even then, you know, you cross the border into Poland and it's almost like the U.S. It's very close. So imagine comparing the U.S. to a, a second world country. It's, you just see this parodies, you know, like you see the wage and it's like, dude, it's, you're wondering why can't my country be like that? And that's why they want to join NATO. The reason why they haven't joined NATO is because they don't, you know, Putin says how the West is moving close to him and how everyone's aggressive. But the whole reason why the NATO hasn't let Ukraine in is because they've been trying to respect him. So they've been actually trying yeah. to be nice to him, but despite it, them trying to be nice to him, he's just been an asshole back. I mean, it's, yeah. I feel like the, you know, the whole thing with the puppet presidents, you know, of course, they're not going to be advocating to join NATO because they're puppets of Russia as well. So, Do you think, mm, go what? ahead. My question was a lot of people in the West believe, and Secretary of State Tony Blinken of the U.S. actually said that Russia could potentially you know, do what it's doing to Ukraine and other parts of Eastern Europe. Do you think that, so do you agree with that assessment that Russia, that 100%. the end goal is not just Ukraine, it's a lot of other parts of Eastern Europe? hundred percent. Yeah. So, uh, and I don't think it would be going the same way as Ukraine is, if that makes sense. It wouldn't be going directly West because Poland is right there. Right. You're not going to change Poland. You know, Poland has already had this NATO for a while. So they know how much life is, how good life is. I think they would go maybe South towards, you know, the mm-hmm. Southern European where life is very similar to Ukraine. It's not, you know, it's it's still in the middle of things. It's still not that good. It's still not that bad. They saw memories of things, if that makes sense. And Russia saw as an influence there. So I feel like that's where they might go. And that's what he's talking about. Yeah. So 100%. And that's also why I think the best approach, you know, is to call Putin's bluff and just let NATO in. You know, he's not, they're not going to fight NATO. I mean, you know, although the numbers of NATO army and the Russian army is similar, the experience and the training and the technology is so different that Russia just doesn't get stomped maybe within a week. The whole Russian army, it's not going to be even close. The only fear is that nuclear war, like if there were, were no nuclear weapons, I feel like the U.S., well, the U.S. obviously would go in, U.S. likes going in places, but NATO would for sure go in and, you know, destroy Russia, no question. So, But the problem with that, David, I would counter to that is like if NATO troops directly go in, 
that kind of puts the U.S. in direct involvement too, right? Because then they would have to, if let's say Russia and NATO are going head to head and NATO is suffering a lot of losses, then it's like the U.S.'s responsibility to kind of protect the NATO troops. Then that would potentially could mean more American troops deployment. And then that could be like the start of another. I don't think we would even get there just because um, a lot of the Russian forces, I know they claim they have 200,000 or 300,000 active forces. You don't think that's true? It's, I, I know it's not true. I know like a lot of the people they capture, they're a supposedly active army, but they haven't been in training since like 2015. And they're getting there because they're getting paid, if that makes sense. And I mean, that's why they're suffering so many more losses from, you know, Ukrainians because Ukrainians were trained by the US a couple of years ago. I don't know if you guys heard about that, but that's, it's, those numbers are puffed up the same way that China numbers are puffed up. You know, they just trying to seem better than they really are, if that makes sense. And I, uh, mm. even on the surface, number-wise, the NATO active forces are just very, they're pretty much identical to Russia, but then you have much better training, you don't have puffed up numbers, and then you have technologies that are just years ahead. Like Russia is still flying planes from the 70s, the 80s, while NATO has like things that are, were literally invented in 2000s, you know, it's such a difference, so. Interesting. So I, I, I don't think it would be needed, and uh, going, you know, going off that same thing, with the impending China threat on Taiwan, I feel like China, uh, the, US, the U.S. could stay next to Taiwan and protect their interests while letting NATO do their thing. And as long as Putin doesn't throw nuclear weapons, then I think that's the best way to play things out. Yeah. Well, a little off topic. So this is a little anecdote I had. So I'll be honest, like I, I was oblivious to like, you know, Ukraine. I never met a Ukrainian in the past. Like I didn't know what was going on, to be completely honest. And this was in 2019. No, 2020. This is the beginning of 2020. Uh, I was out fishing with a buddy in Huntington Beach, and this Ukrainian guy came along, and you know he's just talking to us, whatever. And um, I was like, "Where are you from, dude?" And he goes, "And I'm like Russia." Or he's like, "No, no, I'm from Ukraine." And so you know, I just started talking to him about the whole thing going on, Russia and Ukraine. And I was like, "What do you think about Putin?" And he starts talking like, like glory to Putin, basically. I mean, he was like glorifying the guy. He was talking about how he's like the strongest leader. And honestly, in hindsight. He, he, moved, he was here for a couple months. He said he, he moved to California, I think, like a year in the pa- prior. Um, and I mean, I just didn't understand it. Uh, but yeah, he was just glorifying the guy, saying that he's strong. He, he's the leader of the KGB. Like, he's the man, this and that. Um, and in hindsight, like, obviously, he didn't know what he was talking about, right? But it just, it trips me out that he, he came from Ukraine and he had that opinion still. Um, why do you think that is? I mean, he, the guy was, I want to say, like, in his late 20s. Yeah, so I think it's the um, the way that I think he well obviously he fell in the propaganda boat, but it's the way that so the way that you know the the radical I guess right paints I guess you even say Biden or Putin they paint him the same way they call they say Biden is weak because he's old sleepy what have you but because there's pictures of Putin swimming or some shit he's strong you know and uh, one issue I have with that is that they try to paint a picture that. The president needs to be like manly. I think we're kind of past that. We're a couple centuries past the fact that the president needs to be manly, if that makes sense. I think the president just needs to be a political person. You know, the president needs to know what's going on, needs to know things to say. You know, even if Biden is old and some people say he's senile and what have you, right? It's nice to see that he's actually a politician because he's approaching things without saying, you know, grab her by the blank or, you know, he's he's approaching things a lot more formally and he's he, he understands the political approach. Versus you have Putin, who's painted as this, you know, Superman. And there's videos of him doing Kung Fu. And you guys have seen the, probably those videos. Yeah. But uh, one thing that I've heard about Putin is that, um, like, for example, last time he met with Macron, which is a French prime minister, he sat at a very long table. And the reason for that I is saw that. Yeah. the French president refused to take the COVID test because he doesn't want Russia to have his DNA for whatever reason, right? I think it's for biological weapons. Um, so he doesn't want them to have his DNA, which makes sense. Wow, I did not know that. So that was a, I saw. So what you're what you're referring to people who are listening. There was a picture of pre- the the president of France and president of Russia. And I dude, it, it was a lo- it was the longest table that I've ever seen in my life. I, I I will go as so far as to say. And you're saying the reason why was Macron didn't want his to take a COVID test and he doesn't want the Russians to have his DNA essentially. And uh, to add on to that, Putin is a, a germaphobe. And think about it. If Putin is extremely germaphobe, he's, he has been uh, on lockdown pretty much since COVID started. He's been hiding, more or less. He hasn't been in public anywhere, almost. Uh, so think about it. If he's extremely scared of disease, he's extremely scared of germs, what does it say potentially about his health? 
I feel like it says a very contrary things to what he wants people to believe with him swimming and riding bears and shit like that, you know? So in that sense, I feel like it's just, they're mm. trying to paint him as a strong manly guy, despite him being looking at Madlet. And he's a very short guy, <laughs> but um, not, you know, not there's anything. He does else. have a Napoleon complex for sure. Exactly. Yeah. So he, he, he wants this manly image and a lot of people that are still with the old school ideas that, you know, the leader has to be manly and strong and this and that they fall for that versus, you know, I mm. like, I don't agree with that. I'm, I believe that, you know, the person in charge of politics has to be a politician because that just makes sense. Like you're not going to put a fucking comedian or a, a show, you know, somebody who does a reality TV show as a president, although that happens, I don't think that's the best approach to things. But I think a lot of people are kind of against politicians because those politicians, you remember like George Bush and everyone, they led us to all these wars and they made misled people. Right. So I feel like a lot of people have, are kind of, you know, wary of a lot of politicians playing politics and doing things for themselves. But I want to ask you a question as a Ukrainian American, right? Do you, are you satisfied with how Biden has approached the situation so far? Uh, I, I know a lot of people say that he's extremely passive with things and he's, you know, he's, he does not doing enough. And I, I, I absolutely get that approach because people want to see, you know, instant results, mm -hmm. but I also see it as him, um, letting putin make mistakes you know he's taking it extremely slow he's like playing chess you know um he's seeing like for example the reason why he hasn't been doing you know sanctions or he hasn't been putting the u.s military in there right away is because he's trying to avoid world war three he's seeing how far they can do go how far they can take it without getting to that threshold so i think he's just playing it smartly versus what or i feel like if it was another president that who would, would have just thrown things in because he wants to see manly the way that putin did or somebody else might do I feel mm. like that would have just caused unnecessary World War III, even if it could have been avoided, if that makes sense. So mm. I think, yeah, they, the politicians can, you know, be working for their own good, and they absolutely do, you know. Um, speaking about politics, you know, like, they, they can, but at the end of the day, it, at, the, at least they know things about politics versus, you know, somebody who's not even a politician. They're still going to do for their own good. They're just mm. things, you know, like, um, I mean, like, you know. Self-interest like, is universal, right? Yeah, I mean, the, exactly. You know, everyone's worried about themselves, but it's just their background, you know. And I, like, you know, I know a big concern about politicians is that it's all a big group of people that know each other, so on and so forth, which I know is for a fact is true. Even at USC, like, I, I, I don't know if it's the president of USC, US, USC government, or one of the people that are on the board. The whole reason why they're on the board is because their daddy knows uh, Newsom. I mean, you guys can look this up. You guys can do your own little research. But some of the kids that are on the USG are literally just because they're connected, not because they actually did anything themselves. It's yeah. So I think that factor is certainly there. And that's why people have a lot of mistrust mm. for that. But at the, at the end of the day, I would rather have somebody who has at least background in something because like you said, the interests are going to be the same. Interesting. And Biden has been putting in more and more sanctions on Russia. I believe the, the United States joined NATO in the West in personally, personally sanctioning Vladimir Putin, which I think is huge, right? Because uh, not, I think a country sanctioning a global leader is a big deal. And so we'll see how that plays out. But and, uh, I, I know the CNN reporter yesterday was asking, trying to, the, I forgot the lady's name, but CNN reporter, she was, she, she was trying to like get the answer out of Biden. Why hasn't he personally sanctioned Putin yet? And that was yesterday. So it was a day away, right? Mm -hmm. And I guess she was mad about that. But at the same time, I think he was just trying to see what he was going to do yesterday. And he saw that Putin actually amped things up yesterday. So, you know. He's letting yeah. him make his own mistakes, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, it's a big deal to personally sanction a leader. I mean, that yeah, means... They, I yeah. mean, a lot of his money is not personally on his accounts, but they're exactly. like, you guys heard about his oligarchs. Mm -hmm. you know, he, a lot of his money is with his friends. So they're sanctioning those guys too. And a lot of that money, because of how unstable Russia is, a lot of that money actually lays in the US. A lot, right. of, the, a lot of the properties, for example, in Miami, are owned by Russian oligarchs. So if you take all that away, which is not hard to do since it's already in the US, you're going to be you know, messing with him directly. Yeah. I wonder like how, how much pain does Russia have to start economically for Putin to come to a census? Because over the last one day or two days, I think their stock market went down 33%, which is, I mean, a third of their market lost its value, which is I don't think crazy. Cares because he never cared about the people to begin with. I mean, you mm. guys about the protests and it's not like, is this is the first protest? There's, there was a protest last year. There was um yeah there's been a protest every single year um and all they do first of all they don't put it on media they actually make it illegal for media to record it which is kind of funny so it doesn't take it's not like it takes a lot of research to find out that they're censoring but point is that there's 
thousands of people getting arrested every single time, but he just doesn't care. He just, it's, you know, it's authoritarian. He's in, he, he just, he's in charge, if that makes sense. He doesn't really care about anybody else. As long as he's good, that's it. I think also with the, uh, with just a side note, with the stock market, I also read that uh, the price uh, or the value of the ruble, I think it's called, uh, for Russian currency has uh, decreased by like 30%. So it's like, it used to be like a dollar was like 70 rubles. Now it's a hundred, which is like kind of crazy because like, imagine you're, you're like just a Russian, um, you know, you're, you're a middle-class Russian working and, you know, you have all this money saved up think about it like your value of your bank account just went down by like whatever amount you know if they want to you know travel or do anything in their life and to make it worse before the annexation in 2014 the value of ruble i believe was like 30 rubles to a dollar so back then they even put sanctions back then and he didn't do anything he didn't he doesn't care because you know like you said it only affects the people in the middle class or the you know the actual people it doesn't affect anybody else because putin has his money in other countries so it's not going to affect him but point being that even with the sanctions 2014 he still keeps doing things the way he's doing so I don't think these sanctions are going to affect him personally. He's, it's not going to change him, but it's going to mess with the people. And uh, my hope, I don't know. I'm, I'm guessing what they're trying to get with that is that there's going to be more people protesting. There's going to be a coup, maybe. I hope that's what happens, but we'll see. I just think in a long-term sense, I feel like, um, you know, even if Russia successfully invades Ukraine, which I hope they don't, um, in the long term, I don't think Russia can stand on their feet, especially with the their economy the sanctions that all these other countries are putting on them and just that you know just overall like stability like half of the population doesn't even support or most of the population doesn't even support them so in the long term it just doesn't seem reasonable that russia can you know stand like they are right now it's it's it's, i'm telling it's 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 not a government made for the people the way we have it here you know, although some people would argue that it's not the, the way things here are a lot better than they are over there. So, yeah. I mean, imagine if the same approach was taken by our president. I mean, should we, we'd have people like, you know, shooting, you know, we, we'd have a revolution. Over That's there. a very fair point. People can complain, but comparatively, things yeah. are still a lot better, right? 100%. Maybe not perfect. I mean, no, nothing's perfect in this world, exactly. though, right? But comparatively, like we have it great. Okay, yeah, you know, 100%, you know, like going back to the fact that, you know, like when I came to this country, the whole reason why I came to this country is it's things are just better here. That's why people come to this country. Like you said, nothing's perfect, but imagine how bad things are over there. Here we have, you know, we have the police officers, you know, other issues, right? What have you. But over there, you can't even be gay, bro. Like, you know, I know I keep going to that point, but point, it's just something that we take for granted. It's illegal over there. Like it's, mm. it's ridiculous. And I think also just, just the, on that point, it feels like even if you're here working, you know, like a minimum wage job, that's not as seen as like, you know, lower class here, your standard of living here as a minimum wage job is exponentially higher than even the middle class in those other countries, maybe. Yeah. Right. It's just like insane. The like, standard I'm, I'm of living. Example, like, um, <clears throat> and this might be a little opinionated just because I'm a car guy, but Whenever I see somebody where like, for example, like a base model Mercedes where like, let's say just C300 or base model Tesla, and I don't mean to be mean, you know, it's something that can be attained by most people. You know, you can get a model three, it's what, 30, 40,000, same thing with a C-class, right? Here it's like, okay, like I just want to have something a little nicer. It, you know, you could work, like you said, minimum wage and you can have one of those cars. I, I, I had that when I was younger, when I was a little super with my money. But over there, for you to have even a C-class, you got to be working like a good full-time job, like bro, like it's, it's not even close, you know, and it's obviously the price are a little different there, but it's just the reality of life over there is like people don't have houses there. Most people live in apartments because that's all they can afford at the end of their lives. So even with relative economy, it's things are much worse. Absolutely, man. It's the same where I come from, Pakistan, like the standard of living, like you said, having a Mercedes would mean you make a lot, a lot of money. And most people don't even have cars in my country. So, you know, like it's a crazy, I feel like we're, like I said before, like us Americans have a very uh, empty perspective on things, right? Because we live in such privileged places and situations and our problems are so much more less trivial, trivial than what the average other world citizen is facing. So on that point, though, hey, man, I, again, I, I appreciate you coming on the, converse, sure. the podcast. I'm wishing the best for your family in Lviv and I'm praying for them. And any last words you want to share with we us, let are. us know how, how, what Americans can do to help or what we can do 
to, to, you know, help the cause. I don't think you can even help financially. A lot of my friends have been asking, how can I help financially? But people over there came and pull money out. Um, right. I think the best thing to do is just kind of stay on. I mean, realistically, oh, we can, we can't really do much. We're just regular people. So the best thing is to do is just kind of to seek out the most honest sources to kind of be more in touch with things than you otherwise would be. Sounds good. And we'll try our best to do here at the podcast. Thank you so much for coming on, David. We appreciate it, man. Thank you. You guys Thanks, have a good day. Be safe.